Join Delta Zeta Tau and its Alumni Foundation Saturday, September 24th for Cultura Fest. This is a free community event at Bakersfield Stramler Park, highlighting Hispanic Heritage Month. This event sponsored in part by Aetna will showcase various cultural foods, traditional items, music, and much more. For more information on free tickets and sponsors, please visit deltazetatal.org forward slash culturafest. Hey, podcast world. This is Ramon Sanchez. I'm an associate clinical social worker out in California and host of Destigmatize, a roundtable mental health podcast with professionals I know, members of my community, and some of my friends can discuss topics worth destigmatizing. On this episode, I've invited Derek Fox, MasterChef contestant and host of the podcast, A Bunch of Losers with Derek Fox, to talk to me about the pros and cons of cooking, how it impacts his mental health, and advice for aspiring chefs. And now, here's our episode. All right, episode 14 here with Derek Fox. How's it going, man? Good morning. So as stated in the intro, Master Chef, he does his own podcast. So, I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of you, man, and, and what you're about. Um, it, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting to kind of hear um, you and, and kind of see your story and, and, and what you've kind of had to go through um, in regards towards, um, towards the show. You know, like I've, I've seen you. I, I, you know, kind of fun fact about me, Master Chef is like my go to, like my guilty pleasure. Um, even though I suck at cooking. <laughs> That's usually what it is. It's like people like to watch and 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 learn, you know. Um, I feel like a lot I feel like that's how I kind of started. It was like I was watching MasterChef and I would go in the kitchen and and uh, try to do those things and then I remember I also watched Hell's Kitchen. I, I watched a lot of I remember like YouTube was kind of starting and then I remember like Van from uh, Hell's Kitchen had a YouTube channel and I like I remember calling my mom from like my apartment in Calabasas and I was like mom Van has a cooking show on YouTube and <laughs> it was so silly but it was like it meant so much at the time because it was like I was just figuring out you know how to like cook and how to uh, you know make food taste good but also like learning the artistic side of food you know what i'm saying yeah absolutely and that makes a lot of sense um are you from calabasas no 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 so i'm originally from uh fort myers florida um and then i grew up in colorado for a little bit when my mom after my mom got divorced we uh we moved to colorado and then we moved back to florida when i was in high school and then um I joined a band and when the like band was doing well um we were doing really well at the same time like our guitar player like got accepted to Pepperdine and so it was like well I guess we're moving to California because he's going to college wow so, <laughs> so so the band was doing that well that the the rest of the group was like all right well we're gonna follow it too yeah we I mean we were like we were having we would put on shows in Florida and like 3,000 kids would show up Wow, and, and we were, you know, no radio promotion. It was all just flyers in MySpace, and and we were crushing it. And the summer before he went to college, we did a tour on our own, and we were, you know, we were like selling out venues around 
you know, the, the country just off of MySpace, just promoting off MySpace. And we were four kids and a merch guy at like 19 and we made 80 grand in one summer. And wow. we were like, we're fucking moving to California. Um, so we got a place and we, we, we got a place in Calabasas cause that's where my guitar player's dad lived. And like, honestly, like that was actually probably the worst part was moving. <laughs> like you're moving to LA and you move to Calabasas. It's like, that's where rich people go and like retire <laughs> in California. Yeah. In California, <laughs> yeah. Calabasas in, in particular. No, it makes yeah. a lot of sense. So, I mean, it was, it was before anyone knew like the Kardashians, like it, it was, you know, it was like 2006. It was, uh, I, that's the one thing I, I missed about moving to California is I never got to live in like Hollywood. I never did like the Hollywood grungy rock experience, uh, which is probably good because it might've, uh, it might've consumed me, but <laughs> yeah. So it was good, you know, but like it was one of those things where we just like, we learned from it, you know, it's, it's, everything's, a, you know, everything's a learning process. Right. I think it's pretty cool that that you talk about your band following your friend that went to college, because um, that kind of shows that there's like some support, you know, b- amongst one another, right? So it's like, all right, well, you're going to go ahead and pursue your educational goals uh, amongst like. Um, so for myself, I'm Hispanic. With Hispanics, we kind of push ourselves down whenever it comes down to our success, and and, it, and it's pretty interesting to kind of hear your perspective that like instead of like, hey man, like all right, the band's gonna break up, man, like you got to do you or you got to make a choice. Like you guys said, no, man, you can do both and pursue your education. So I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was, it was a tough. Uh, I think it was a it was a tough decision for all of us, and ultimately, one of our band members actually left after we he quit the band after we uh, got out here because he just couldn't handle like being away from everybody but um you know i mean it's just like i'm the kind of person that's like when when i have a goal it's whatever it takes you know at and especially when it's like a team like and it goes back to like the team challenges like you know if being on a team with someone that i don't like it doesn't matter in that moment it's whatever the team needs it's like i don't if we don't get along that that has no that is no uh there's just no reason for it and it doesn't help the team and so it's all about like putting that aside i mean it's like you know i used to like it's just like wasted energy with a with a grudge like that when you're trying to accomplish something as a team so you know when you're doing, I mean, when you're doing anything, it's like, I used to get upset about things. And then it's like, well, if I'm getting upset about this, that's wasted energy. And if I don't do that, then I have more energy to pursue the goal. Right. So it's all about like, it's just about the the goal. And, um, so from, from the band to, to master chef, to any kitchen I work in, it's like it, the goal is to put out the best product. The goal is to make the guest happy. The goal is to, you know, cook better than you did yesterday kind of thing. And the only way to do that is to, you know, put the ego aside, put the the grudges aside or whatever it is and just at all costs make that goal happen, you know. So redirect the energy that you have towards the anger and redirect it towards the actual project that you're trying to do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's why you'll, I mean, that's why you see on MasterChef, like 
there's never a moment where I'm upset with anyone or there's never a moment. I mean, I mean, honestly, the most excitement I ever showed was in the last episode when I'm jumping up and down because Michael and I were crushing that team challenge. And it was because I was looking around and everyone was melting down and, and I actually like, you know, I revealed my excitement and I, I normally don't do that because it's like, I don't want them to know what I'm thinking or feeling. It's just like, that's also energy that doesn't need to be put out there in, in that kitchen. It's like the only energy I'm putting out is I got to get this done, you know, and, and determination, that's it. And, and Gordon saw that and sees that. And, you know, that's what he admires. Obviously it's what he said. And, and, you know, it's, yeah, it's about focusing understanding the energies that you have and then focusing them in the right way. And that's hard. I mean, that's look, I mean, it's taken me 36 years to figure out who I am and, and the energy that I possess and where to focus it. And so it's not easy. I mean, I'm not coming from, a, you know, I understand the weight of it. So, um, I'll actually be honest with you. That's actually part of the reason why I, I invited you like I reached out to you and immediately you said yes like there it wasn't without hesitation like it was just like yeah man I'm I'm in and and I kind of you know as much of a fan as I am of MasterChef I am a fan of you because I do see that there's some hardship that you that you go through you have this presentation on on the show that's ultimately it's very focused and very driven and I and I really and again spoiler alert for for those that haven't seen MasterChef um, so you could go ahead and kind of tune it down for a couple of seconds. But Chef Ramsey gave you a major compliment and said, you you cook like if it's the last time that you that you've ever, you know, like if it's a finale. Yeah. And 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 I that that was the moment that I'm like, I got to reach out to this guy because there was already moments that I'm like, OK, like this guy, he's, uh, you know, and I'm like, I feel like this guy's going to win. But, you know, for all the reasons other than his um, on top of his cooking skills it's who he is and it's like he's like you've and i could be wrong man i mean but i I think like you've gone through some shit no i mean you're you're right i mean you know and it's like i don't put it out there because everybody has you know everyone has a story everyone's been through some stuff but i feel like more than anything it's like it all goes back to like these days where it was like we were kids in a band and we took a risk and we went out on the road and we went against what our parents said. And I mean, so like my parents supported the fact that I wanted to be in a band and go on tour and whatever. Like they were like, you're 18, you can do whatever you want, you know, but, uh, other parents of the, of band members, you know, were just shining against it. But the point is that is like, we, the, the band, the days of being in a band and figuring it out translates so much into everything that I do in life with cooking or my cookie company or my podcast or my relationships and just so you learn so much in those formative years. Right. So one thing about being in a band and being on stage and playing for people is you play every show like you're performing at Madison square garden 
it's like that's the rule like it's an unwritten rule but it's like if you're going to perform you perform like you're performing for the biggest crowd in the world but you also treat everybody like you're performing at that dive bar for five people and so you know I just, that same, that same rule, that same mentality goes into the kitchen with every plate. It's like, if I'm going to do this, it's going to be like, I'm cooking for Gordon Ramsay every time. And I do that for every one of my clients. I mean, his voice is in my head and, and I, you know, I pretend I'm serving him every time. So my quality and my standard has to be there. And then it's always like, this could be my last service. So you know, it's got to be the best. And again, like I said in, in the show, I don't know any other way. So uh, I, and I feel like, you know, there's a lot of, I hope that that inspires people, but there's also a lot of people out there that don't do that. You know, they, like they just, they'll serve something and be okay with it. And, uh, you know, I did that one time and I, I still regret it because it was a moment where I should have served a better menu and I didn't because I just, I was so busy or whatever. I made excuses and I was like, this will be good enough. And then like, I will remember that day forever. It was the one time I broke my rule. So it's like that rule matters and I stick to it. So yeah, but thank you for recognizing. Yeah, man. I mean, that was the moment again in the show. That was where I saw some vulnerability and, and emotion that, you know, you, you almost broke down and, and I saw that. Well, and this season, I mean, they've actually done a good job of editing around it. Uh, I was very emotional the entire time um, because many things. It was like I was getting a, you know, getting a second chance, getting a moment and an opportunity to, like, rewrite the previous journey. And like I know what it took and what it takes to get to the finale. And so that knowing all that going into it was more weight on my shoulders. Um, But then I know how life changing it can be. And so leading up to it, you know, from season six to season 12, I've done a lot of work on myself and figuring out who I am and and learning so much about like my emotional side that I'm more in touch with it. So in that kitchen and in the master chef kitchen and, and with all those other contestants, I could feel them. Like I could feel their energy big time and everyone's, you know, choice to be there was for a similar or different reason, but it all meant something and I could feel that energy. And so I was emotional the whole time because I could just, it it was just like resonating with me really, really heavy. Um, but also, I mean, every episode I could have a dish in the top, like all my dishes have been amazing up to this point. And obviously it is a TV show too. So there's, you know, other people have to go up and I get that. And sometimes the fans don't get that and whatever, but you know, sizing up the competition, like I'm getting emotional every time because yeah, I'm, I'm cooking like it's the finale, but I also know that this is 
my season to win. So it's just like, if it felt so heavy the whole time. So yeah. So like every, and, and I get emotional about success too. Like, like when I fail, like I've done that, you know what I mean? Like that's easy. It's easy to fail. Succeeding is hard. And so when, you know, when Gordon is saying such amazing things and then you're, you're beating out the competition and week after week, it's going like, that's super emotional. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah, it makes sense, right? Like you just, there's so many unknowns in that situation uh, from the moment that you finish cooking to that moment that they're going to go ahead and call up your plate. And yeah. um, so and especially yeah. that plate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. No, it, it was uh, again for everyone that hasn't seen it or that again, just take, take some time to go ahead and check out season 12 of uh, MasterChef. It's it's a pretty good one. Um, I, I do want to talk about your family as well. Sure. You mentioned um, that, you know, there's there's a lot that it took you a long time to figure out who you are. And yeah. did does your family have any contribution towards that? I mean, you know, like, so I, I mentioned that, uh, my mom got divorced when I was young. I was five when she got divorced from my biological father. And, you know, this is 1991, you know, like it wasn't like we had, we didn't have cell phones. There was no FaceTime. We moved away. We moved from Florida to Colorado. So it was like, that was it. Like I didn't see my biological father again. And, uh, you know, parents have their reasons why they do things that they do and, and they, they're doing the best that they can. And, and, you know, I'm sure whatever decisions my mom was making, she's thinking is in the best interest of us, but also her and her health and whatever. And, you know, uh, so there's, this long gap where I didn't see or get to know, you know, my biological father. And then he passed away when I was 13. So the next time I saw him, like he was in a hospital pumped full of tubes on, I don't know, a ventilator. Maybe, I don't know. I was, I was 13 years old. It was, it was tough. Uh, but my, my mom remarried and, uh, my stepdad, who I call my dad, he, you know, he was there for us. He, he's the one that flew down to Florida with us to go say goodbye to him. Um, so that was one of those like moments where it was just like, I don't know. It was, it was heavy. It was emotional. It's a core memory. It's something that, uh, you find yourself going, well, what if, you know, you, you wonder, Um, but at the same time, you know, like that's part of life. No one gets out alive. Right. So, uh, I looked at that moment as more about, you know, my stepdad showing up and, and being that role model. Right. Uh, and then, you know, as, as I got into high school and stuff, I mean, we didn't have a lot. We moved around a lot. Uh, you know, I mean, like there was one time we were living in the basement of some guy's house that was foreclosed. And, uh, when we tried to move out, the guy pulled a gun on us and was trying to keep us there. Like, I mean, like, you know, it was like, I know looking back that like our neighborhoods and the places we lived weren't great, 
but it, to me, you know, my parents did a good job making us feel like we had everything we needed. Right. So it was just the perception of it. We felt, we felt like we were in a great place, but looking back, it was like, man, I would never live there. Uh, but, but I guess what I'm getting to is my, uh, my parents always just had the, gave us the positive reinforcement that, you know, if whatever you want to do, you can do it and we support you. Uh, but at the same time, they didn't, you know, they weren't like, you know, here's college tuition or here's like, they didn't have that, you know, right. I, I was even scared to take my SATs because there was like a $15 like admission fee or some kind of fee. And I didn't want to ask my parents for the money cause they didn't have it. Right. You know, so my parents just encouraged us. Encouragement was free and they were just like, you can be whatever you want to be. You just have to figure it out. And so I think that, I think that helped as far as, you know, figuring out and doing something that I love, but also at the same time, it took me a lot longer to figure out who I was because there wasn't like guidance. It was like, my parents were like, just go figure it out, (laughs) you know? Right. And what about siblings? Do you have any, any of those? Yeah, I got, I got two younger brothers. Um, my brother, Dusty, he's four years younger than me. And, uh, we have the same biological father. And then, um, my other brother Dalton, he's eight years younger than me. We're half. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so I mean, it's not, it's not a ridiculously big family, but it is, you know, a big family for someone that socially, economically was struggling. And yeah, I mean, so yeah, there's, you know, five of us in our core family. Um, and there was a time that my, you know, my parents were both working full-time jobs and going to school so that they could get better jobs and pursue, you know, better careers and be able to provide for us. So there was times where, you know, I was like nine years old and I was the babysitter and like, I shouldn't have been, (laughs) you know, but, but the nineties, that was cool. You could do that. And so there was a lot of growing up quick, you know, um, CPS would love you guys now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah in fact i just talked about it with with uh, this girl from survivor on uh, my podcast um and we there was something that came up about kids and how long you can leave them alone and now it's only like for every year they are there's it's like 15 minutes <laughs> it's like oh uh, we would be so yep. my parents would have been in so much trouble oh, absolutely man um so where did this passion for cooking come from? Because, I mean, what I'm thinking, you know, in my head is, like, individuals that have passions for cooking, they come from, like, big families. And I think about, yeah. like, that movie Home Alone where it's, like, that pizza dinner scene. Right. And, and it's, like, first come, first serve. And the cook, and the passion for cooking comes as, like, a survival mechanism where yeah. you have to, like, ensure you get first dibs on the food by cooking. Yeah. Um, but I'm assuming that's not the case for you. Well, it kind of was. I mean, my my family is Italian, so we have a like our get togethers were very big get togethers. Like my dad had three brothers. Um, but then like my, my grandmother, I think there was like seven kids in her, uh, between her siblings. So there was a lot of cousins, like all of our get togethers were huge. Um, 
but the the cooking it's very layered like there was one there's one moment and I've shared before is that I was like we had a babysitter I was like eight years old maybe seven years I was seven years old we had a babysitter and she didn't know how to like follow the directions on the box of macaroni and cheese and so I pulled a stool up to the stove and I did it and, and, you know, at seven and needless to say, she was fired, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but I, you know, I, that was like the first time I cooked. And then in high school, it was a lot of like that first come first serve kind of thing. It was like, my parents were like dinners at this time. And I never really like liked what they made. And I didn't understand then that it was because I had like a palate and and I, and I liked I liked finer foods, but you know, they were doing their best that they could. They're working and they're coming home and throwing something together. That's what they do. And they were like dinners at this time. And I was like, okay, so if I'm not here, they're like, you have to fend for yourself. I was like, great. (laughs) I was like, I'm not going to be home. I'm going to be out. I'm going to be doing something, whether it was baseball or playing drums or skating or I was just outside, man. Like I didn't, I didn't want to be, it was, we didn't, I mean, we had video games, you know, I'm not, we're not that old, but like my brothers liked playing PlayStation. I did not. I was like, I want to be outside. I was building ramps with friends out of boards we were finding in the trash and, you know, just doing crazy shit that was just fun and, and, you know, it was just like getting outside and enjoying life. Uh, and I was like, I don't need to eat. <laughs> right. But then it was like, okay, now I do need to eat. So I got to make something. And I did enjoy that. And then again, it came back to like not having a lot of money. Like I would want to like take a girl out on a date, but I didn't have it, you know? And my dad was like, one time he was like, you know, you could, you like to cook, just invite a girl over and cook for her here. Mama and I will go hang out in the back room. And I'm like, really? All right, let's try that. And then it was like, that was cool. So it was, you know, then I learned that like, it's, uh, you know, food is a very, it, it it's a very powerful thing. You know, I mean, we all have to eat, but it's like, you know, when you're sharing food with somebody, that's an important moment. So, you know, and then, fast forward to meeting my wife, like completely courted her with food, you know, it was like everything revolved around food. And, and then, you know, when we got married, it was like our honeymoon, it's going to revolve around food. And we went and did like a European tour and ate in Italy and France and Spain. And it was amazing. You know? So, um, so I, I guess it was just like, but really to answer your question, it kind of found me, like it was like food kept showing up. And then when we were in the band and this, this actually ties into your podcast a lot. Uh, when we moved out to California, you know, we're, we're playing music full time and uh, drums was my therapy in high school. It's like, I started playing drums cause I was, I had all this angst and all this aggression and I didn't know where to put it. And uh, like, I'm, I had angst and aggression, but like, I wasn't like, let's go box or let's go to a gym. Like, I don't like fighting like that. You know what I mean? So I needed something. And so I got, I found drums 
And then it was like, I, I started to calm down. And then, but then when it became full time, drums was not like therapy anymore. So I was like finding myself in the kitchen and cooking. And it was like, that was, that became like my self therapy. It was just like, I could get lost in the kitchen and forget about yesterday and stop thinking about tomorrow. And I was like fully present. And so now like I was very hesitant for a long time to pursue food as a career because I didn't want to ruin that. So I really took my time in pursuing food as a career, but now I've been able to like harness that and channel that. And so every day is like, I get my therapy. I get to go in the kitchen and cook and like life is just, it's so bliss because it doesn't matter. It's like, I get to go cook every day, you know? Yeah. It seems like you're very insightful when it comes down to your mental health um, and how to cope and with your mental health, how to, what to do whenever you're feeling anxious or overwhelmed. What are some of your views when it comes down to mental health and how do you deal with any sort of like personal challenges that you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like even when you do have a better understanding, I don't think we fully understand it. And, you know, I, I think everyone struggles with it, whether they realize it or not. That's, that's one thing. I mean, I, I didn't know that mental health was an important thing until I really started seeing the effects and the changes of getting lost in the kitchen. Or when I got behind the drum set, how I felt after playing drums, I was like, wow, this feels amazing. And I feel like a lot of it is accomplishing something. You know, there's something inside our brains that when like you complete the task, you, you get that, I don't know. Is it dopamine? I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's, I mean, can, it's, it's definitely that serotonin that kind of. Yeah. Out. Yeah. So you, you get that feeling. And, and I think one thing that there's a few things and it also goes back to like us doing this at you know nine 30 in the morning. One thing is the art of showing up, you know um, a lot of us will schedule things and then anxiety kicks in and you cancel or uh, you quit a job because you're just like, I can't do it. Or you, you mentally think you can't do it or you, you've got emotions in the way. And, I, and every time that I've ever wanted to cancel something and then I say to myself, the art of showing up and then I do and I go show up, it's always the best. Like I leave going, man, I can't believe I almost didn't go to that or almost canceled that or whatever it was. It's like, that fear and that anxiety, like everyone feels it. And some people feel it more than others. Some people don't, some people just like love showing up and it's easy, but like the art of showing up, um, that's one thing that my wife and I practice a lot. And I, she might even have taught it to me, you know, like (laughs) we've just been doing it so long. I don't, I don't remember, but, uh, that one's important. And then, it's kind of the same thing. It's like working out. Like I don't like to go to a gym. I was blessed with this ability to play drums and I would do that every day. And man, like playing drums the way I play drums, like there, I didn't, I couldn't keep fat on my body. It was like, I was 4% body fat and my doctor would say, that's not good. And I'm like, (laughs) I feel great, (laughs) you know, but 
it's because I was playing drums every day, sometimes six, eight hours a day. If I didn't have anything to do, like I could sit there and just play all day. And it was just like, and then when I got into the kitchen, that kind of changed that part, that part's been the most difficult struggle uh, with being a chef is the lack of just inadvertent exercise. Like that's what I loved about the band. It was like loading in the drums. That's exercise loading out the drums. You're getting exercise. All those things make you, you, whether you feel it or not, they do make you feel better. So now it's like, I'm like, okay, I need to go to the gym. And then I go to the gym and I run and I'll lift weights. I come out and I'm like, man, that was great. You always feel great after it's that convincing yourself to go. And that's the hard part. That's what everyone struggles with. But those two things that really come down to the same thing. It's just like the art of showing up. Yeah, for sure. Shout out to your wife for teaching you that, man. <laughs> for sure. No, right. she's, uh, she's very in tune and spiritual and, uh, she could teach a lot of people a lot of things, but luckily I just, I get to reap the benefits. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I do want to go ahead and transition, uh, into mm. master chef. And okay. so you've been, can in two- I take a second and grab my coffee? Yeah. It's like staring uh, at me over here and I can't wait. Abs- absolutely. No worries. <sighs> okay. All right. No worries. So I, I do want to go ahead and transition into, into master chef uh, for, for a little bit. And I guess I'll ask a couple of questions just so the listeners could go ahead and kind of get an understanding um, of the show into like a little bit of behind the scenes, some of the things that they may not understand. So whenever you guys do record, is it you guys go in and there's some mentorship that kind of goes along with it? Or do you guys kind of cook from one day to the next and kind of record as if like it's going to be the following week? Or do you guys obtain some sort of mentorship from the chefs? Um, I guess the best way to answer your question is like when you see us cooking, like that's, there's no cuts. Like when Gordon says your time starts now uh, and the clock starts, when Gordon says your time starts now, then they stop and they read us the rules of the challenge. They can't read us the rules of the challenge before the challenge. Cause they don't know what it is. They don't want us to know what it is. So there's a quick couple minutes where they read us the rules and we all agree. And then they do it again. Your time starts now. And that when, when Gordon says that, like it starts and there's no stopping and there's no camera cuts. Like they've got so many cameras so they can film everything. I mean, there's probably two cameras for each person. Uh, so they don't miss anything. Um, but we're, I mean, that's it. It's like, here's your challenge, go. And it's daunting sometimes. Sometimes it's exciting because you're like, ah, oh, I can, I can nail this. You know, when they were like, you're doing, when Gordon was like, you're doing three of my signature dishes, beef Wellington, truffle risotto and, and pear tart to 10. I was like, I've, I mean, the first thing I went home from season six and did was practice the beef Wellington. I mean, it's one of the first things I did. It was like, this is Gordon Ramsay's thing. I gotta, I gotta learn this. And I was like, I want to learn everything he does. And I mean, risotto, like it's not hard. It's just time consuming because you have to keep ladling in hot stock. So every challenge is a puzzle and 
it's you got to figure that puzzle out and and every challenge takes some sort of skill i didn't i've never done the pair tart to tan before but michael did on his season and it was something he knew and so when we got teamed up it was like this is gold right but like i was worried in that moment because i didn't know that i do know how to make a pie crust and right. i know that like the pie crust goes over it but like so the the show when we film that hour of cooking, that hour is a solid hour. Right. Like there's, I mean, there's no cuts, no edits. I mean, no. they'll, they'll, they'll go ahead and kind of edit the show around that hour. The, correct. So then there's the judging period and that happens. It does. Obviously it happens after our cook, but sometimes depending on where we film in the day, depending on how many contestants, like if there's a lot of contestants, the judging happens later in the day because there's, more time to walk in. There's more of us getting hair and makeup. There's more of us getting our aprons on. There's more wardrobe. So we cook and then really it has nothing to do with us. It has to do with the cameramen. The cameramen are union. So if they hit their break time, they have to take it or else there's consequences. So they'll break. So we get done with the challenge. We'll break. Some cameramen can go to lunch. We go to lunch. Then we'll come back and then they judge our food. So sometimes judging is after a long break. Um, but the judges, you know, they're chefs and restaurateurs. They, they know good food. Like I can taste something after sitting out on the counter for an hour and know that it was good or if it was bad. Right. right? No, I, I guess, uh, I guess my question is like, let's say you guys film on a Monday, right? Yeah. And then do you guys film the next challenge on a Tuesday? Type Correct. Of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's based on the skill that you already have. There's no mentorship that comes from like, no, Gordon. The, it really happened. The mentorship happens like Gordon coming over and talking to you while you're cooking, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you know, um, there's like on the weekends, like we get kitchen time and there is a culinary team and we can bounce ideas off of them. Um, but that's like the kitchen time is because Honestly, when you're at home, you, you can cook whenever you want. When you're on a cooking show on TV, you actually cook less than you do in your normal life. Right. You get that one hour a day to cook. You're like, this is not enough cooking. I'm getting rusty. So we do get kitchen time on the weekend where we go because they have us. They need to do something with us, but they don't have cameramen. So they're like, so there's a, there's a, like a little like culinary place we get to go to and, and we can practice whatever we want. We have cookbooks, that kind of stuff. Um, but I mean, as far as like the challenges, like we don't know what's coming. Right. I mean, you know, and then the day when the day starts, like, so Monday morning we get a, we get a, uh, like a, a picture slid under our hotel door at like four or five in the morning. And it has the outfit that we're supposed to wear on it. And so then, you know, we have, we bring all our clothes. So they have pictures of all of our clothes. Uh, we put that outfit on and then there's another outfit that they say, bring this. So that's just in case if it's something's clashing, we can switch our outfit. We get that at like five o'clock in the morning. We got to be down in the lobby by like seven, eight in the morning. We get on the bus at eight 30. We leave the hotel, the, you know, shuttle bus, whatever thing they drive us to set. Uh, we get the set, we go in, there's breakfast. 
always a breakfast burrito. I ate those every day. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, which I probably shouldn't have been eating those every day, but that was my, that was my like comfort anyway. So we'd have breakfast and then like there's cookbooks in the green room. So we're, we don't have our phones. We're just like, so we're constantly just like reading and thinking and read. Like, I, I don't know what everyone was doing, but I was like reading techniques, like putting a technique in my back pocket. So it's like, if something comes up, I can use this. I've got something, you know what I mean? Cause you only go into these challenges with everything, you know, and it's like, you don't, it's not like you're going to magically think of something new. So the only way to have more knowledge is just reading those cookbooks and, and putting a technique in your pocket, you know, like, so I would do that. And then we, we go to hair and makeup and like, really it's just like making sure we're not like shiny or sweaty and, making sure our hair is not like really messy and then that's it. And then they put our apron on and then I don't know, by this point it's like 10 30, you know? And then it's like, okay, we go do our walk-in. So we go like where the, you know, the master chef door is open and we walk down into the master chef kitchen. We go stand behind that wall and they film us walking in we go back out, we do it again. Then we come down, they tell us where to stand and judges come out and, then they tell us the challenge and then it's like, okay, it's like 11 o'clock. And then Gordon's like, your time starts now. So in that moment, right, the time starts now, it's a 60 to 90 minute challenge for the most part. How would you rate and describe the anxiety that you and other contestants have coming up to that, to those 60 minutes, you know, or is there like a downtime where you guys get to decompress afterwards or even beforehand or like kind of, there's no, there's no time to decompress beforehand after, you know, it's when you, when you put the food on the plate and, you know, they count down and then Gordon says hands up and it's like, the, you feel like the, it's just the weight of the world come off your shoulders. Uh, but leading up to I, the, the anxiety is crippling. Um, and it's, and it, it actually stays with you the whole time. I mean, there's a little relief when you you're not in the bottom three, but it's, and when you go home to the hotel at the end of the night, there's a little bit of relief. There's like a couple hours where you don't feel it. And then it kicks back in. And it's really like, sometimes like the best way I can describe. have you ever like broken up with somebody? Have you ever had to go to somebody and say, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, yeah, absolutely. That knot you have in your stomach leading up to telling that person. Because you know it's it, happening and you know that it's going to hurt. And you know that yeah. there's never like a right time to do it. Like in that specific example. But there's a knot in your stomach. Absolutely. Correct. So magnify that by 10. That's what the anxiety feels like walking into the MasterChef kitchen. And, you know, they're telling you, be happy, be excited to be here. And you're like, I'm fucking terrified. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you you just do it. You go in and and but you know, you're, I mean, you can see it on my face. That's one thing I still haven't figured out is how to not like just wear my emotions on my face. Like if I'm worried, I look worried. If I'm annoyed, I look annoyed. Like I can't fix that about me, but so I just, I, I don't know. I look at it and I go, damn, I was, I was terrified in that moment, but it is, it's that, it's that not in the stomach that, you know, something's coming. You can't change it. All you can do is be ready to do your best and pray that it's something that you can do well. Cause if it's something that they throw at you, that's not good. Like you're not good at, you're really going to be nervous. And and then that's extra pressure. 
and extra anxiety. And then, and then, you know, but like, like I said, once you get going, once you get cooking, it all, that all goes out the window. You forget about it. The, the knot goes away when you start cooking and then it comes back when it's time to present your dish. And then when you make it in the top three or you not in the bottom three and you survive another day, it goes away for a couple hours and you get on the bus and you go back to the hotel and you're like, fuck, we got to do that again tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, man. That's, that, that's what like the, cause of course they present it like it's, it's each week. Cause that's the way that it, that it is for television. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's the next day for you guys. Cause I mean, they're not going to keep you guys for 20 weeks for you guys to film this show. Like, no, yeah, it's I mean, about eight weeks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's some, there's sometimes, yeah, exactly. You know, it's every day there's something. Sometimes there's like a chat, like if a challenge, like if there's a team challenge, it, usually the next day after a team challenge, we won't cook like the rodeo one. Like we, that was, I think that was on a Friday. So then we had the weekend off. Um, but then we got to do our interviews. And those interviews are after, and right, you know, yeah. there's, there's people on the fourth wall that are taking notes the entire time of what's going on. And obviously they're also recording it. So they know what we're saying. So then our interviews, we go into the interview room and they say, tell me about this, but talk to me like it's happening now. Right, right, right. Yeah. So which, which is crazy, right? Like you did that on season six, you're back yeah. for season 12, you know, and and it's like you you essentially you chose to go ahead and deal with this anxiety the second time for the second season, right? The first time yeah. it was like, I mean, well, both times you made, you made the choice, right? But first time I was super naive though. I didn't. I, didn't. <laughs> I, I think that, I think that's part of being young though, right? Like that's just part of the, the yeah. being young. And but for sure, I, I do want to go ahead and ask. You know, when you do get invited for that second season, right? And and part of it, I feel like it may be because of the fact that there's some fan favorites. But I also feel like it's because you're, I mean, you're a runner up on season six. So, I mean, you're good yeah. at what you do when you get that feeling or when you get that call and they tell you, Hey, you're going to go ahead and be back for season 12. Is that like a feeling of honored or is it, or does it go to like, why me? Like, or do you feel like I don't deserve this? Is there like some imposter syndrome? And for those that don't know what imposter syndrome is, it's uh, simply doubting your abilities and feeling like you're a fraud. Yeah. Did you go through um, that? Well, I think the imposter syndrome more happens to us not with season 12, but like after, you know, leaving season six and like everyone, you know, everyone saw me with a chef coat on in the finale. And so it was like, people are just calling me chef and I'm like, okay, (laughs) it's like, uh, uh, all right. And then they think that I can do everything like every, like, they just automatically think I can cook everything in every one of the cookbooks that is at their table or counter or whatever. And not that, not that I can't figure that out. It's like, I just felt this urgency to try and like learn everything as quickly as possible because I was just getting asked to do so many things and everyone had this idea of who I was and their perception. And then I had my perception and those two are very far apart. And so that's, I think where like the imposter syndrome would lie for a little bit. Um, but then it was just a matter of just putting in the hours and, you know, I'm at the point where I feel like I've put in my 10,000 hours and I don't, I've stopped feeling that imposter syndrome. Um, 
you know, but then there's other times I see just some just amazing chefs and it's like, you know, I, I even, I'm just like, how do you even get there? You know? Um, but when they called for season 12, I mean, it wasn't a guarantee that I was back on. Uh, they called a lot of, they called a lot of contestants. Um, and maybe they were downplaying it with me. I don't know. I've, but I, two things I've, I felt like I had to go, I had to say yes, because it was an opportunity to, uh, you know, right the wrong, <laughs> if you will. Right. Uh, it's about the title. Uh, you know, I, I've watched every episode of MasterChef. I love the show and I want nothing more than to have that title. Um, and then the, the other part was for the fans, you know, like I understand that MasterChef has a lot of fans and I understand that, you know, I got lucky and became a fan favorite from season six. And so showing back up was just as much for them as it was for me. Cause I mean, if this was, <laughs> if, if, if people couldn't watch and like enjoy what I'm trying to do, then no, I wouldn't do it at all. Um, but it was a really hard yes. And so I'm glad you asked because people don't understand like, I getting that call was like every bit of anxiety and emotion that I felt from season six just hit me like a, you know, like a, like a dump truck. It was just like, it all came back and it was all like, I took a, I took a while to say yes. Like I told them to let me think about it. Um, and then I had other contestants from other seasons, like messaging me like, Hey, did you get a call? Did you get the call? And I'm like, I played dumb a little bit. I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And they're like, I know you got called. And I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> and like DeAndre, DeAndre from season six, which he's an amazing chef. Uh, he, he calls me and he's like, he goes, I know you got called. He's a, he goes, I'm not calling to see if you got called. He goes, I'm calling because I want to know if you're going or not. <laughs> was that because that was going to determine if he, if, uh, he was going to go or yeah, not? Okay. He was like, he was like, I want to know if you're going. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, I want to know if you're going. I'm like, why? He's like, cause you're my biggest threat. I was like, well, you're my biggest threat. I was like, are you going? <laughs> yeah, no, that's pretty cool, man. I mean, that's pretty cool to, to kind of hear right from, from someone else that's, uh, that's in the same career that, you know, that that's a colleague of yours. Yeah. When, you know, that was kind of like the tipping point because I definitely wanted to do it. I, I really wanted to, you know, go back to the fans. And then, and then when other contestants were calling and were nervous about me being there, I was like, no, nah, I got to go. Right on. That's cool, man. Yeah. I, I ask about the imposter syndrome because I mean, and, and again, for me, it wouldn't be a mental health podcast if I don't get vulnerable. Um, I, I dealt with imposter syndrome this past week. Right. And okay. I have my master's in social work, um, you know, and, and essentially the hours, same concept. I'm an associate clinical social worker. So once you be after an associate, you become licensed. Right. So yeah. I took my licensure test. I failed. And in this past week was, you know, it was like, man, am I doing the right thing by doing this podcast by, you know, by kind of speaking to other people about what they go through. I felt like an imposter, like I didn't deserve to go ahead and do this structure or to go to my clients and continue to provide psychotherapy with them. Um, and it, and it was like this weird feeling. And then it's just like, I had to go ahead and kind of check myself and be like, no, like I'm, I'm good at what I do. I, yeah. I'm, I'm able to go ahead and how do you, how do you handle imposter syndrome outside of like, you know, just doing your time, doing your hours? Um, 
Yeah. You know, it, this, I mean, here's the thing is like, it's one, I always go, I always find myself going, it, everyone feels this way. Like I just pause and go, I'm not the only one that is feeling this. And then it's like, okay, so now what do I do that, that like even, and, and what I think helps is like these kind of podcasts where you get to like really hear people talk, you know, you hear Brad Pitt on a, on a podcast. He's a normal dude. Like we're all, we're all, we're all people. We're, we're no different. You feel it. Cause you're getting this, you have this masters and you have this degree and you have this license and then you're like, shit, like I earned this. Why do I have this? And the other person doesn't, well, you put in the hours you, you committed to it. And that's the difference. It's like, uh, <sighs> there's people that are going to put in more hours and more time and have less results. And then there's people that are, that, you know, have instant success or it seems like instant success more. So it seems, but like they've been putting in time. I think really is I, I always just, I check myself by just saying, I'm not the only one that feels this and even the best feel this. And it's just a moment. And then, I don't know. I just push it, push it away. It's, it's a, it's wasted energy. Um, because it's it comes back to perception. Like I can't perceive how I can't control how you perceive me. Right. I can only just, I have my perception of myself and I just be that. I just try to be the best version of me. And somewhere it meets, you know, like I can't control what anyone thinks of me. I just have to be the best per- version of me. So if, if someone thinks that I'm not good enough, or if someone thinks that there's a better person for the job, that's on them. Like I, I just got to keep being the best version of me. And so like the imposter thing, like, you know, I feel it sometimes and I felt it a lot after season six, but I felt it more when people were thinking of me as something bigger and better than what I thought I was capable of. And so I just was like, well, I just got to work harder at being, being better and, and getting to a place where I feel like their perception and my perception meet. I don't know if that really answers the question, but it, it does. I think, I mean, and in the last couple of years, I, I think I've focused more on trying to understand perception than trying to understand, I don't know, the reality of things. Cause yeah, like there's like physically things are here and in front of us and, you know, are tangible, but everyone's perception is different. Right. Oh, and you fair. see, and so when you like break that down, I feel like that changes a lot of things. And when you when you take that moment and understand, try to understand someone else's perception, anxiety goes down big time. Right. A couple more things on Master Chef, and then we'll move on to the final segment. <laughs> I know that there was um, again. I kind of going back. I I asked you to join this podcast because there's something about you that that again, I just found really interesting as a therapist, right? Um, I noticed that there were some 
and and maybe this was more of the TV crew that kind of made it this way. But I noticed that there were some times where you kind of had to prove yourself. And there were some people, uh, your contestants, your colleagues that essentially would doubt your abilities. And, and there were uh, instances in which that was more evident than not. And, yeah. and, and Give I me wanna, an example. Are we going to name drop? Yeah, go ahead. All right. So, <laughs> all right. I didn't want to do this, but... Uh, when Sheila um, and the team challenge, the radio challenge, essentially, uh, and again, spoiler alert. So for those that are listening, she did uh, she did get eliminated um, after that uh, challenge, and there was you know it was, it was kind of like all right, well, th- this is what you from what I uh, kind of understood, this is what you get for not yeah. choosing me to be part yeah. of your team, and, yeah. it, and and it was kind of evident that that you felt that way, right? And then oh yeah, and then there was and then also within your interview, you said, "Hey, this is personal. Like, this isn't even about the competition anymore. Like, this is like you doing what you need to do to because you see me as a threat, or you want to go ahead and get rid of me." Um, and I'm assuming that's probably one of your least favorite things about Master Chef. But how'd you deal with that? Well, you know the thing about the thing about team challenges, and like I was saying earlier, is, is it's about the team. It's not about you trying to get head ahead or you trying to eliminate another person in the team challenges. You should be doing everything you can to support everyone around you. And you should be doing everything you can to be on the best team and to be the best team. So when the captain gets to pick, that's her last moment. He or she, that's their last moment to say, this is that's their last like selfish moment, right? They're getting to decide their team. And then from that point on, it should be about the team. Well, when she's saying she's going to pick the same blue team, because the blue team won in the last team challenge, I was on that team. And when she says she's going to pick the same blue team and then tells Gordon, she's not picking me. Everyone's shocked. It's like, and then, and Gordon, I mean, he even said, he was like, Derek, how does this make you feel? He's like, I'm like, well, Hey, I've done this before. Like I'm the, I'm single-handedly like everything aside, based on everything that I've done, I am the best person amongst all of us for this team challenge. Right. Probably like, the, the most competent because you have done this before. Correct. Compared to the rest of uh, of the, the exact se- the exact setting, the charcoal grill, the hundred and one cowboys, the, the ribeyes. Like I have done this. Like, and you don't think I haven't grilled some steaks since season six? Like, give me a break. So it was personal. It was not about the team challenge. It was she, her, and and Christian had their mind made up that they were going to do anything at all costs to get rid of me. Well, guess what? It costs her, her master chef apron. So, you know, uh, didn't like I'm a Taurus and I work really hard to not let those bull horns come out. But when you, when you poke me with the cattle prong, like, <laughs> like she did, it's like, you do not want to be in my way. It does not. It's like, you would have had to have killed me to get me off that grill. <laughs> it was like, uh, it, it was an instant vendetta. It was, it was just like, I don't know. But in that moment, like also it, it, it just fueled me. Cause it was like, it was like a bully, you know, it's like, 
going back to like school, like I was always the short kid. I I was always picked on. I changed schools probably nine times before high school. Like I, I always had new classmates. I was always this odd kid out and I always had to prove myself. Right. So it was like that same scenario. It's like when the bully picks on you, you just, it's like you try a little bit harder. Right. And it's interesting. Like you probably would have been the last one to get chosen if you didn't speak up and advocate for yourself, which I thought was a really good thing that you did. Um, well, Gordon asked me to, um, Gordon, cause that's the thing. Bree, Bree being the other team captain, she didn't know anything about me. She wasn't on my season and I don't know if she watched my season. Clearly she didn't. Um, but she had, she had no idea about my skill and she was picking Gabe at, to be the grill guy at first. Like she thought Gabe was going to be that for her. Yeah. And Right. Dude, he, he had to go sit down because he couldn't handle the, the heat. Right. It was, it was a lot for him. Yeah, yeah. no, it, ma- it makes sense. And, and again, like, again, just kind of going back to the mental health aspect, it's always good to advocate for yourself in, in that sense. And again, for me, strategically looking at it from the outside in, it's easy for me. Cause I'm like, all right, like this is good. This is going to be the guy that I choose first, but it's easier said, you know, it's easier said than done for everyone, but always try to advocate for yourself. So I think that that's pretty awesome that you, that you did do that, you know, even with the discretion of, uh, of Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You gotta, yeah. You, I mean, if you feel it, speak up, I mean, what's the, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, that's one, one piece of advice, I guess when we're going back talking about family, like my dad, aside from saying, you know, just go for it. He would, he would always say the answer is always no, if you don't ask, right. You know? So it's like, speak up. If you feel like you can do something, speak up, you know? Absolutely. On your podcast, a bunch of losers with Derek Fox, you mentioned that you told chef Ramsey to F off. <laughs> and, and was that like a word vomit type of defense mechanism? And yes, like chef Ramsey, Aaron and Joe are respected, but at the end of the day, they are humans, you know, and I feel as grateful as I would be for that opportunity. There's still so much, that, there's only so much that you could really take. So what happened in that situation? Yeah, so it was season six, um, and we had we had a challenge with corn, and you know he called he called my dish up, and uh, he was just giving me a hard time about my garnish, and you know it's like I've it, it's kind of the treat people the way you want to be treated kind of thing. It's like Gordon Ramsay tells people to fuck off all the time, and you know it's like it, it's just like. It, it wasn't, I didn't, and it was also like not, it was just like a throwaway. It, it wasn't anything, but you know, he's giving me a hard time about this garnish. He was like one Brussels sprout leaf. And I was like, fuck off. It's a garnish, you know, but like, uh, I think he really appreciated it. Cause it just showed that like, you know, like I'm, it, it's like, I was talking to him on a level playing field, you know, like he talks to people that way. I talked back to him and, and I don't ever talk back to him. So that was a one time that, and it sucks that I didn't make air cause it was really funny. And like, I mean, everybody, the whole master chef kitchen just like took a gasp and then he laughed and then everybody laughed and it was funny, but you know, but it's, it was just, yeah, it was, it was, maybe it was word vomit. I don't know. It was just, it was a funny moment. And, uh, 
it was just a moment where I was just like on a level right. playing field with Gordon. And I think he respected that, that I had the, just the balls to do it. <laughs> yeah. Cause especially like in shows like that, of course, you know, we're trained as a society to go ahead and, and kind of, you know, check ourselves when we're given an opportunity to go ahead and just take it all in and just listen instead of speaking. But then there's times where, you know, like in that situation, like, Hey, like you're just a human too. Like I'm not, you know, I respect you, but shit, you need to, you need to yeah. check yourself. Yeah. It was, it was that, you know, I think a lot of people don't listen though. I think, I think that's one thing that like I noticed with master chef is like a lot of people try to defend their position and it's like, no, shut up. It's Gordon Ramsay. Listen to what he's saying. You know, um, I never talked back to him. So that, and that one time, and then it doesn't make air anyway. So it's not even a big deal, but like, it's amazing that people do like try to like, that's a moment, you know, when you're, when you feel like you need to defend your position, it's like, well, wait, why are you doing that? And then who are you defending it to, you know, and think about those things first. Right. For sure. I do want to go ahead and, final part of the segment of this episode is I do want to go ahead and talk about how we as a society have come a long way from destigmatizing cooking. And there's a, ultimately a stereotype that kind of comes with it. And for me, the example that I want to go ahead and give is it looks, it looks at it from a cultural lens in which from like the Hispanic roots, cooking is really focuses on a woman's role. And I think that not even just Hispanics, a lot of other cultures look at it this way. But there's shows like MasterChef, MasterChef Junior, and others that help remove that heteronormative label behind that statement that I just made. And having judges like Gordon Ramsay, Aaron Sanchez, and others, it it removes that label, that stigma, that ultimately does need to be destigmatized, which is why we're doing this episode. Well, it's strange because, like... for so long it's like it's the woman's role at home but all the but all like the restaurants it's all men right like and when you take it back to like french fine dining like i mean like gordon heavily advocates for more women in the kitchen in the restaurant world right so it's interesting how there's you know in the professional setting there's not enough women and then there's this weird stigma that that's the place for a woman is in the kitchen at home. It's like, where does this shit come from? I have no idea. Like, I don't, I don't know. Cause like most of the time, like when I hire a team, like for a solid two years, everyone I hired was female. Like I just, I had all women on my team for all these events I was doing. And it was, I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't on purpose. It wasn't like, I wasn't seeking it out. It was just like, I was calling the best people for the job. And that's, I think that's the best way we break down a lot of, uh, stigmas and we break down racial barriers is, focus on the best person for the job, whatever the job is. Like if we're just talking about 
job and and stigmas in the workplace and in and racism in the workplace it's like focus on the best person for the job and the best person will come will show up and that's what you have to do when when you have companies are like we need more women so they're hiring more women like yes that's great but make sure that they're also really good at what they're doing or your team is going to suffer. Right. I'm not saying it, it, it for any other reason than the best person for the job. That's what it like. That's the only way we move forward. When you have all these people like trying to do things for the, for like virtue signaling or for the, for just the wrong reason, it, the team suffers. You know, and it goes back to like Shelly not picking me because she doesn't like me. Well, but then your team failed, like pick the best person for the team. Your team succeeds. And then guess what? Then Shelly and I would have had a really great moment. We're like, hey, I know we don't always get along, but we did a really great thing today. And then we'd have a little bit more of a common bond and then we'd have more respect for each other. I mean, like, it's I'm like super generalizing it and. And just like summing it up, because obviously we don't have, we can't solve all that right now. You know what I mean? But it's like, sometimes it is the simple little things. You do the little things over and over and you stick to those and then they become bigger things. And then we have progress. Uh, that's just kind of where I'm at with it. I'm like, the if the best person for the job is, you know, the opposite sex, great. Like, I don't like... To me, I I don't know. And I think it, for me also, and the reason that I feel like I resonate with a lot of different backgrounds and different cultures and different races is because when I, growing up, I moved around so much. I was in so many different schools. At one point I went to an, like basically, and it wasn't on purpose. They weren't an all black school on purpose, but because of their location, I was one of four white kids at this school. And it was like, I didn't, I just, it didn't register with me. It was like, Oh, this is where I live. This is where I'm going to school. Like, because we all, we were all in the, we were a team at that school. It was like, we have to go to class and we got to earn the grades and we got to, you know, make it to next year and we got to make it onto the baseball team. And it was like, you know, I don't know. There's something in there. Yeah, for (laughs) sure. No, for sure. Thanks for answering that. Um, as truthfully as, as you absolutely can, you know, that's, that's really admirable. Uh, final question that I do have for you. Again, for me, it, I, I come from an area where men especially are there. We're, we're going to work in the field. We're not going to go ahead and pursue education. We're going to basically we're just going to go ahead and kind of conform with with what our land offers us. Right. OK. Um, so this question is based off of that. What would you tell others, especially young men who aspire to go to culinary school but have doubts? Because realistically, um, and what is the realistic advice? Because are do these young men have to have a plan B if they're going to go ahead and go to culinary arts, or would you recommend that they go that their plan B should be to go back to plan A? Um, what would you say to that? Yeah, well, I'm probably not going to give you the answer you're expecting, but. I am like, you don't need school, fuck school, fuck debt, uh, and fuck plan B. Like 
plan B is wasted energy, wasted planning. Like if plan A doesn't work, then go figure out plan B, but put it all in on plan A, you know, uh, it, we are talking on the device that has all the information in the world. Unless you are trying to become a doctor or a like rocket scientist, like, yo, the answer's in the computer. And even you could still even figure out how to probably do some minor surgery on a computer. I don't recommend it, but <laughs> the answer's in there. You know what I mean? Like uh, everything I've learned and taught myself is either working with another chef or searching it on the internet or just trying it in my kitchen and see if it works out. And here's the thing with culinary school. If a kid comes out of high school and goes into culinary school, he's got, unless it's fully paid for by somebody else, he now has the culinary debt. And then when he wants to go work in a kitchen, guess what? He starts at the same place. The dude that just knocks on the back door and asks for a job. So go get the experience Go knock on the, get out of high school, go knock on the back door, start working prep, work your way up. You don't, you don't need it. You, this day and age, it blows my mind how many people, I feel like people go to culinary school because they're lost. And it's like, you want to get found, go knock on the back door of the kitchen and you'll learn who you, who you are in like a month. Like you will get dragged through the coals and it's going to suck for a minute, but then you come out the other side and you're better and stronger. And I mean, that's just, I don't know. I, I sat in school and I hated it. You know, it's not for everybody. Pardon me. My coffee maker is cleaning itself. (laughs) (laughs) No worries, man. But you know, I, I don't want to discourage everybody because I feel like college is a way out for some people and they need it. And there are, there are jobs out there that need it. But for me, I was just, you know, fuck it, just go for it. Right on. No, I again, I, I think I, I would agree with that answer if I didn't go to school. But yeah, no. <laughs> well, right. But see, but, but if if the value is in going to school, if you know where you need where you want to be, you have to go to school. Then I get it. But do you have to go to school? I mean, when Elon Musk tweets out, we need we need employees at SpaceX. I don't care about your degree. Just prove that you know what you're talking about. That's all. That's all. That's like, what is the degree? Right? Right. No, I think for me, and again, this is just like, we just different upbringings. Like my parents, they immigrated to this country. So for them, it was like, you have to go to school, but I have your thought process in which fuck school. If it's not for you, it's not for you, which is like, weird. but that's that's a generational thing because my my dad, you know, when my mom remarried, my dad was all about you got to go. My dad would go to my school. It would it was embarrassing. He went one time and was like because there was one point in like middle school we got to like choose our classes and I was like dope, I'm going to do ceramics and fucking PE and I was choosing all these artistic things, which my dad didn't understand that that's what I needed and wanted right. I wanted to create. And my dad was like, you don't have Spanish on here. And he went to my school and and switched me out of one of my classes to make sure I was in Spanish, which was also smart. Like he's thinking, this is where the world's going. You need Spanish. But the most Spanish I've I've ever retained is in the kitchen, right? <laughs> so like, like I was gonna get there either way. But he would go and he was all about me going to college. You have to he applied, he he applied for me 
for West Point at one point. Like he really wanted me in the military. He signed me up for ROTC. I didn't want to do that either. He made me do ROTC. Like it's a generational thing. It's because when our parents were kids, they watched their parents do one job. They did that job for their whole life and they retired from that job. It's not that way anymore. Like now you like people our age and the people younger, they're going to change jobs 20, 30, 40 times. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's more about get the skills, Google, figure out what you're good at. Like just figure out what you're good at, what you like, and then go do that. It's interesting that you say that because I, I actually had this conversation with my family in which my grandparents, I feel like they worked to survive and that kind right. of got taught into, and they did. into my family, like my parents, like, but they don't know how to work to enjoy uh, yeah. or like, yeah, to, to be able to go on vacations and take right. self care, right. which is something that I'm a huge advocate for. So yeah, th- um, you know, I'm happy that you said that. Well, you know, and, and like, and where, where did your family come from? Uh, Mexico. Yeah. Where in Mexico? Uh, they're from Michoacan, which is maybe like a two day drive from the border, from any border. Wow. Okay. You know, exactly that. Like they were working to survive. And I feel like, you know, I feel like our country sometimes forgets that, that like, I mean, obviously we're a melting pot and we have so, there's so many people in this country that just, they don't know what it's like to work to survive. They think they're working to survive because they're surviving on food stamps or government cheese, whatever. It's like, no, that's not working to survive. Like what your parents and grandparents went through is a totally different thing. And I, and I feel like there's this major lack of empathy at our border and it it bugs me a lot because I've worked in kitchens and, you know, I've had, I've had discussions with family members that, that don't agree about our border and they think there should be not family members, but I, I know people that think there should be a wall and I'm like, look for the person that is trying to survive a wall, that wall is nothing. (laughs) You know what I mean? There's, there's over and under like when you're in a, when you're living in a world where the better opportunity is to cross a border into another country, think about that person for a minute. What are they going through? Why do they need that so bad? And let's help that person. I, I really, you know, I just, I get upset at it because I've, I've been in kitchens where I've had to hire cooks and, you know, in this country, you need a social security card to get a job. And like, they'll have a social security card. That's not theirs. It's not, they're not here legally, but they're giving me a number to put on the paper. And and I pass it on to the GM. Cause I was like, we need this guy. So figure it out. And that person's getting a paycheck. Taxes are coming out of their paycheck. And then at the end of the year, they're not doing a tax return. They're, they're not trying to get money back. They're just, they just don't file anything and they continue to keep paying into the system and take nothing back. So they're, they're basically paying taxes twice. And like, people don't understand that. Like, so I don't know. I mean, I went on a tangent there, but 
really it's like have some empathy for just other people. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree with that. Any final comments for destigmatize? Um, no, I don't know. I think we said it all. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, I really, I really appreciate your time. So this is episode yeah. 14 with Derek Fox. You could go ahead and find this episode and all others episodes of destigmatize on Apple podcast, Spotify, Google podcast, and the iHeartRadio. Thanks, Derek. Really appreciate it, man. Cool, man. Thank you. All right.